0: I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> hey, glad that you are here this weekend. Uh, we start a new series for the summer called At the Movies. And it's been a few years since we've done a series like this. And the reason that we picked this, we know that people begin to travel, really uh, starting last weekend uh, at Memorial Day and well up until Labor Day. And uh, it's it's sort of in and out. And so trying to do a series that people can, can come in and out of and be almost like each one stands alone. So we thought this would work for that. And so the nature of it pretty much is just uh, sometime, summertime blockbusters begin to come out right now. And we thought we would have a little fun with that and use some of the blockbusters as, um, as things to uh, illustrate points, uh, to talk about different uh, subjects, that type of thing. So we think you'll enjoy it for this summer. Um, some of them are really, um, they're, 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 uh, they're cute and they're fun. Some are more serious. Uh, I, I think um, this weekend probably finds itself right along the line of the two things. I'm going to talk about heaven this weekend. And here was, here was the thing. It seems as though um, for the past, um, I don't know, three or four times that I've taught, somewhere in the message, the idea of heaven comes up in it. And I thought maybe it was the Holy Spirit that was, that was putting it in my heart to teach. And then as you go to study, and you try to write down what you want to tell people about heaven, think about this real quick. It's real easy to underwhelm yeah. when you begin to talk about something that's beyond what we can really know in, in, in just you know uh, English. So what I need is for the Holy Spirit to take it and to do something that goes beyond just uh, teaching. It needs to be a little bit more revelation. Um, I think that there's some really interesting things in this that you will... you you'll you'll um, I think you'll latch on to it. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I'll do kind of a part two... Um, or I'm sorry, part one and part two with it. Uh, the first part will be I'll just dispel, dispel some uh, myths about heaven. And then the second part of it, I'll talk about some realities of what heaven's going to be like. And, uh, and hopefully the Holy Spirit can use that in a really uh, cool way. So the movie that I picked to start our series with uh, is uh, heaven is for real and it came out a couple of years ago it's about a little boy who died and uh, went to heaven and um, when he, he, he came back and he was able to at such a young age know details and facts about things that he saw in heaven that were really remarkable it's so, not by the way if you like saw the movie and you're like, I, I don't know if I believe everything that he saw. So I'm not using this as like the end-all be-all uh, to, to, um, t- to the exhaustive you know, knowledge of heaven is in this little kid's uh, revelation. I, I, don't, I don't know that anybody would have the exhaustive knowledge of it. But what I thought was interesting was that when it came to members of his family, that he was just simply too young to even know who they were and what they looked like. He saw them in heaven and was able to accurately describe it to his mom and dad. And it just was so, it was so comforting for his parents to realize that their family was there in heaven. And so I, I thought that's kind of the place that I would use uh, for this weekend. So watch this little clip, and then I'll jump into the message. Father, Lord, Lord, I came come, I will be gone. You had a grandpa named Pop, right? That's right. Was he your daddy's daddy or your mommy's daddy? He was my mom's dad. He died when I was about your age. He's very nice. You saw Pop? You saw my grandfather? You saw him? Where did you see him? In heaven. I love my grandfather very much. He was there with me when my father couldn't be. He taught me to weld. He gave me that slingshot. I know. We play with it. That's right, and he was a good man. He was a really good man, but I don't know what he believed in. None of us did. I think he's one of the reasons your dad became a minister. I was hoping he'd get a break into heaven. You don't have to worry, Dad. He's there. He came up to me and told me he was your grandfather, and you called him Pop. And he held me in his lap, just like Jesus did. And he told me everything was all right. The man you saw? No, that's not who I saw. Okay, but just look. Are you sure, Colton? Nobody wears glasses in heaven. Can I go play because when no, mom. No, no, no. Home... But are you sure that's not him? No. Okay, 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 okay. When, just, when mom just, gets okay, Yep, yeah, mom will be home in a second. Just wait one second. Wait. That's pop. In heaven, everybody's young. Are you okay, Dan? An awful lot happened to you in heaven. Yeah, it was amazing. Interesting thought and uh, if nothing else, if you've ever considered what heaven would be like. What will we experience there? What will you look like? Um, Is it just a place where your disembodied spirit sort of in an ethereal way hangs out in the clouds and just enjoys some kind of a choir for eternity? Uh, Is heaven like a church service that never ends? God help us, right? Let's <laughs> think about it, though. You have an idea of what you think heaven is like. And what do you think it'll be like? Do you think you'll know people there? Do you think you'll have friends there? Do you think you'll be comfortable there? Do you think you'll have something to do there? What will you dress like? What will it look like? What will it smell like? Have you ever thought about heaven? We use terminology like uh, better place. Uh, we use terminology like, um, you know, uh, it, it's in the clouds, it's, it's up there. But to define it, to find something that's more concrete and more like um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I said last week, is it, is it just that you don't deal well with heat? <laughs> so heaven seems like the better alternative. Because today, people joke about it and dismiss it. And in a way, it's slandered. And I'm going to show you in a minute that that's exactly how the enemy of our soul tries to portray and get people to think about heaven. To dismiss it as a joke. It's a cartoon. What will heaven be like? Why would you want to go? What's there? So let me just quickly... Do these five myths about heaven. See if you've heard these things. Um, And maybe one of the five is true, or maybe there's some root of truth in all of them. How many of you have heard of the pearly gates? When you die, you go to the pearly gates. Most of the time, that's shown in a movie as some golden gate where there's a line of people trying to get in, and most of them are presenting their case of why they should be let in. A lot of clouds and steam. (laughs) And then St. Peter. We'll get there in a second. So, why the pearly gates? Why is it referred to that? Well, Revelation 21, 21 does refer to the city of heaven in a description this way The 12 gates that lead into the city called heaven were made of pearls, and each gate from a single pearl with an exclamation point. And the main street was pure gold. As clear as glass. So, when it's referred to as the pearly gates, there really is a scripture that talks about each gate being made out of a pearl. But that part of heaven is actually a city that will be on this earth. And I'll get into that as we go a little bit further. How about St. Peter? Is St. Peter the one who meets you at the pearly gates? Generally, in a cartoon or a movie or a picture, He's standing there with a roll, and he's looking for your name. You ever seen that one right there? Why St. Peter? Why is he the one that's been depicted as the guardian of the gates of heaven? Well, there is a scripture that people have misinterpreted about Peter. Uh, The Catholics use it as the proof that Peter was supposed to be the first pope. Uh, People that don't understand have used it as the proof that he's the one who guards the gates of heaven. But it really is a scripture that just says he got the revelation of who Jesus is. That it didn't come from his natural knowledge, but it came from something that God gave him. And so people connect that with the idea that he's the guardian of heaven. Let me show you the scripture. It's from Matthew 16, 19. Jesus is actually speaking to the disciples. And he says, people say, I'm all sorts of things. A prophet, this and that. The disciples are answering him. And then Jesus just asked the question to the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter speaks up. You are the Christ, the Son of God. You're the one that God sent to the earth. And Jesus recognizes that this isn't natural knowledge, but supernatural knowledge. And so he proclaims or prophesies this over Peter's life. I will give you, speaking to Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And so people who don't know take that scripture and apply it to the idea that Peter stands at the gate and permits people in or doesn't permit people in. But it doesn't really say that, does it? And that's not what he does, and so it's a myth. And people use it as a cartoon, and they dismiss it as some type of a joke. Uh, Another one that I hear from time to time and that has become kind of popular culture, and I don't mean it now, um, if you believe this, ...as a dismissive thing to you, but it is to correct a myth. Some people believe that when you get to heaven, you become an angel. And I've heard people refer to the death of a loved one that they are now my guardian angel. And I get why you think that and why you would like that to be true. But is that true or is that a myth? Let me just throw this out to you. This is from Psalms all the way in the Old Testament. And it talks about God's creation between humans and angels... And it just simply says this. And Jesus actually refers to this in the New Testament. Uh, What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. You made them only a little lower than what? So here's what it's saying is that God has a particular creation, angels, and a particular creation, humans. And humans don't become angels and angels don't become humans. They're not uh, exchangeable that way. Here's the fourth one: Heaven is somewhere up in the clouds. You always see it when it's written, described or shown. Somehow, it's always in a cloudy place, mostly because I think that people have trouble describing. What would heaven look? Would there be terra firma there? Would there be a place to walk on, or do you kind of float? So they always depict it in the clouds. But is there a scripture where people got that idea from? This is Jesus talking, Matthew 26, 64. Jesus replied, you have said it, and in the future you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the what? The clouds of heaven. So they use an analogy to describe the return of Christ, and then people just automatically connect the idea that heaven's in the clouds. But the Bible doesn't actually say that. So heaven is not some cloudy place where you just kind of float and you hang out. It never says that at all. And then last but not least, I mentioned it to get a little bit of a response from you and to see where your brains were at. Uh, Is it an unending church service in heaven? Because when people think about it, it's always in robes, in some kind of a choir, and you're standing there praying for eternity. Does that sound like a place you're excited to go? Honestly. And some are like, well, pastor, I don't want to say that in front of you. I, I don't want to do that either for eternity. <laughs> I hope heaven is much more exciting than that right there. Where do we get that from? Again, I think it's just part of, um, part of pop culture because people don't know what it will be like. But let me, let me throw this out real quickly. I think that the enemy works to slander heaven. I think that the enemy is thrilled when people come up with nonsensical things about what heaven will be like, because it then allows, listen, the lie of the enemy is not that heaven doesn't exist. The lie of the enemy is that heaven is not some place that you would look forward to going to. It's a joke. It's a, a, a place that exists, but why in the world would any person who has any sense of adventure ever want to go there? Revelations 13.6 Let me just throw this out to you real quick. This is, uh, again, speaking of the enemy and the way that he works. Let me tell you where I got this idea of slander from. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his... Where does God live? That is those who dwell in heaven. I'll just throw this out to you real quick. I think this is the proof. When I was studying for this message, I think it's the enemy's total objective to slander God where he dwells and the people who are there right now and the way he slanders it is to make it nothing more than a joke to people so that people look at it and there's no real sense of why someone would ever want to to go there. I was reading a book called Heaven by an author who lost, his child, and he was a believer. Uh, actually, educated in a seminary, um, all the way to a ThD and a PhD level. Very smart individual, but he loses his daughter, and all of a sudden, um, out of that, out of that huge tragedy, comes this desire to figure out where is his daughter, and will he ever see her again? This is a pastor. The reality of heaven becomes. All of a sudden, a pursuit that he goes after, and he begins to study so much about heaven and learn so much about heaven, and what does the Bible have to say about heaven? That He writes this incredible book called Heaven, and I would recommend it to anybody who's interested in knowing what heaven will be like. He gets into some incredible biblical-based ideas, not his philosophy or something from just this world's philosophy, but he takes what the Bible has to say about it and then he writes this incredible book about it. But he makes this statement, and I thought this was really interesting. He said, if if in our lifetime it ever became possible for people to actually go to Mars and to colonize Mars, and they spent all of the time getting ready to go to Mars, the billions and trillions of dollars, all of the manpower and all of the, the brain power behind getting there. Putting the mission together and figuring out all of the, the, uh, here's how we're going to do it and here's how long it's going to take. And then on the day that they were to launch the mission to Mars, the astronaut looks at the other one that he's going with and says, hey, what do you think Mars is going to be like? And the other guy goes, I have no idea. We spent all our time just trying to get there. (laughs) That's how most people, believers, approach heaven. We spend our time trying to get there without ever really thinking about what will it be like. And it would be crazy to approach a mission that way. And in reality, God has said so much about heaven. So much about heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. I'd like you to see this. Um, this is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen No ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Don't go to the next scripture yet. They're they're fast, aren't they? Think about this one more time. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Real quick. This is a lot of times why people... Don't pursue the idea of what heaven would be like. They use scriptures like this that says the imagination can't even begin to picture what it would be like. So if God doesn't give us the ability to picture it, why would we waste our time thinking about it? So they just stop at that one verse. But look at this next verse that goes with this. But it was to us that God revealed these things by what? What? For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets real quick. So it may not enter into your natural mind what heaven would be like, but through the imagination being touched by the Holy Spirit, we can think about heaven. Yes or no? So here's what I want. Would you do me a favor and use your imagination right now? Is it okay to use it in church? When you go to Disneyland, you do. Seriously, why don't we use our imagination when we read the Bible? Like that's some disconnected thing. God God wouldn't want us to use our imagination. Who created your imagination? God gave it to you. So that what I want you to do for just the next few minutes, when I read some scriptures and talk about what the Bible says about heaven, let your imagination go a little bit. Have a little bit of fun with it. Let yourself be engaged with the idea that that God loves you so much that he created a place where you can live out your existence eternally with him and enjoy it. Not be bored, not be just like, when is this million years going to get over? (laughs) To really be engaged in something that is supernatural and exactly what will satisfy you. So let me give you these four things that I think um, I think are kind of interesting. Uh, I'm going to do something tonight, too, that's a little bit different. I know that some of you have never seen one of these before. <laughs> it's a Bible. Uh, we, we, we use um, slides to make it so much easier to teach from, and it's, it's a great way to teach. I, it's, it's, it's my preferred method. But um, it, this is still a great thing to have. And if you're like a believer, get one of these. If you don't have one, because it's really, God speaks through this. So I'm actually going to use ink and paper tonight and turn to some scriptures. So the reason I'm doing this is because I want you, I want your imagination to not just sit there and look at a screen. I want you to have to listen, because I think by listening to what I'm saying, maybe it allows the imagination to get going just a little bit. So there's, there's kind of a method to, to the madness here. So um, here, here are, if you've got a pen or a pencil, you might want to write these down. Uh, take notes on these. I think you'll, you'll enjoy these. Okay, what, what will heaven be like? What will we do there? Uh, what, what will it feel like? Um, what will some of the things that you'll enjoy? And again, allow your imagination to have a little bit of fun with this. Here, here's the first one. Um, you'll have a resurrected life. A resurrected life. And So um, if you go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible... It's the book of Genesis. Genesis tells the story of how God originally created man, the earth, and his intention for those two things. And it was a marvelous creation. It was well thought out. He created it in particular in order to be a blessing to the man and to the woman and to all of nature that he created it. And he created it in a system that it worked perfectly well with each other. There were no imbalances. There were no... um, there, there, were, there was nothing inside of the system that was poison. There were no weeds. How good would that be? Yeah. There, there's, 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 no, there's no pollution. There's no imbalance of animals. There's not too many and there's not too few. It's not too hot and it's not too cold. Everything is in perfect symbiotic working order. God put it together so that the man and the woman and the creation that he put on earth would all work together in a perfect world. And it was wonderful. And you would think to yourself, okay, it's so wonderful, why mess with it? So Adam is not, he's not some, some individual who like blew it for all of us. Uh, Adam is you and we're him. And it's, it's a story about when you give choice to a person, there's the possibility that they'll choose the wrong thing. And when you introduce into that environment an enemy who then comes and lies, it, it gives the possibility that in order to really have free choice, you have to be able to choose the wrong thing. And so, Adam and Eve, man, they listened to the devil. The original lie of the devil was that you can be like God. You, you, can, you can have the world your way. You can think about it your way. You can, you, can, you can do what God does. And God had already told them, this is the only thing you can't do is be like me. Don't eat of the knowledge of good and evil because you can't handle it. And the very thing that they did was to take on the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says as soon as they did, it, it developed a curse. And the curse was for the entire earth, not just for the man and not just for the woman, but for every creation that God put on the earth, and the earth itself is under a curse right now. And at that time, the Bible says that it let in uh, incredibly difficult weather. It let in the weeds. It let in an imbalance that began to happen between people and between nature, and it began to fight against itself so that even today, when you, when you find inside of the hearts of people the desire to correct imbalance, it, it's... It'll never get corrected until Jesus comes back because it's under a curse. But the desire to correct it is God's fingerprint in our life that we all want to go back to what it was supposed to be like originally. So that when I talk about heaven and what heaven will be like and how you picture heaven and how you imagine heaven, the first thing that we would go back to is to look at a resurrected life. The Bible says that at some point in history, Jesus returns to the earth, and when he returns to the earth the resurrection of the dead happens. And the Bible says that those of us who are still alive when he returns to the earth will be changed in a moment. Quicker than your brain can process it, you'll have a resurrected body. Now, how can God do something like that? How how people that died thousands of years ago who turned back into dust, how in the world could God resurrect those molecules? If he could put it together in the first place by speaking it to existence, he can do it again a second time. And now it comes down to what you believe about who God is and what he's capable of doing. But one of the things that will happen and that God will allow to take place, what heaven will look like, you will have a resurrected life. So let me give you a picture of what a resurrected life looks like. Anybody in this room whose body hurts right now, raise your hand. Good news for you, you will never hurt again. You will never, hurt was never Part of God's creation. When God made the man and the woman, he made them in a perfect health environment. There were no toxins. There was no breakdown. They lived a long, long period of time because around the earth was an envelopment. The the, 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 the x-rays from the sun couldn't get through the envelopment around the earth. Of, of, a, of a water vapor, the Bible says in Genesis. And they lived a very long period of time. And it was after the fall that that vapor, <laughs> it disappeared and it began to let in the x-rays that aged the skin. So part of what God did when the man and the woman fell and they ended up in a corrupted place in their bodies, now death has been introduced into the perfect environment, what was still possible for them was to reach up and take from the tree uh, of, of, of eternal life, the tree of life, and they could eat of that fruit. And the Bible says they would be stuck in that position where they were corrupted, their bodies are corrupted, the environment's corrupted, but they would never die. And that's not, <laughs> it's not a good place to be at. So part of what God does when heaven happens is that he gives us a resurrected life. So let me, let me point this out to you. Adam, before the fall, when God created all of nature, God didn't name any of the animals. Do you know this story? God brought every animal, one by one, in front of Adam before the fall and asked Adam to name the animals. And Adam's brain and the power of his brain before the fall was that he could creatively name every animal and every species of animal. Think about how many animals are on the earth. I can't remember my dog's name half the time. I call him my old dog that passed away. He's a bad little dog. (laughs) He is. He's a bad little dog. He's a fallen dog. Truly, you think I'm kidding. He's a fallen creation. Adam's Adam's life prior to the fall, his brain worked in a way that you would consider genius. Part of a resurrected life is that we will go back to God's original intention for the man and the woman. The way that you'll be able to think when you're in heaven is going to be incredible. She's so like, well, I, I, you know, I never thought about thinking in heaven. So what is heaven like then? <laughs> For eternity? <laughs> that can't be heaven. <laughs> what was life like before the fall? Right relationships. Uh, this is Genesis 3. Let me read this to you real quickly. Here's what happened at the fall of man. So if you're taking notes, by the way, I'm going to read out of the message uh, just because it works with the imagination a little better. So when the man and the woman listened to the enemy and allowed the enemy to deceive them, it caused the fall of mankind and it brought a curse on the earth. And so this is what God said to the woman. I'll multiply your pains in childbirth. You'll give birth to your babies in pain. You'll want to please your husband (laughs) but he's going to make it difficult for you to do so. You imagine the relationship between the man and the woman. There was never a struggle prior to the fall. They got along and agreed about everything. And even though there had to be discussions, and even though there had to be different ideas, there was never the distrust and the, there was never divorce. There was never separation. There was never blame. All of those things happened at the fall of man so that when God gives us a resurrected life, these things won't happen anymore. To the man, listen to this. Because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from, the very ground is cursed because of you. Getting food from the ground will be as painful is having babies for your wife. You'll be working in pain all your life long. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since that's where you were made from. For dust you are, and dust you will return to. So just think about that real quickly. Part of what Adam had prior to the fall is that everything he put his hand to worked. Everything that he tried to do was successful. How many of you have a job that's a struggle? Thank you four honest people. All the pastors are like, I don't know if I can raise my... It's true. And that everything that we do, if you think about it, has some type of struggle to try to get ahead, yes or no? Why is that? Why is it hard to graduate? Why is it hard to get ahead? Why is it hard to save money? Why is it hard to stay out of debt? Why is it hard to plan the future? Why are we constantly battling those things? It's part of the curse. And that when God gives you a resurrected life... Part of what heaven will be is that whatever you find to do, whatever God gives you to do in heaven, whatever, whatever your activity in heaven will be, it will not be something that's a struggle. It will be something that you enjoy doing, and you'll be successful at it. Think about that. We always think of heaven in the terms of just, I go there and I don't know. Here's, here's a thought. You weren't created to eat gravel. So the reason that you don't ever desire to eat gravel is because God didn't put that desire in your heart. The reason you desire to get ahead and do well is because God put that desire in you from the creation of your very being. And the reason you try, and the reason that some of you have given up is you've tried so hard and you find it so hard to be able to try to get ahead. What God wants to give back to you in that place is the ability for it to be like he created it In the first place, a resurrected life. How about this one? And I mentioned it a minute ago. It's the second one, a resurrected body. Let me read this one to you because I think this is really interesting. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in 1 Corinthians 15, again, this is out of the message. um, This is the idea of what a resurrected body will look like. So Paul the apostle writes these words and this is what he says. Some skeptic is sure to ask, Show me how resurrection is going to work. Give me a diagram. Draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? If you look at this question closely, you will realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this kind of thing. We do have a parallel experience in gardening. Listen, you plant a dead seed, and soon there is a flourishing plant. There is no visual likeness between the seed and the plant. You could never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it doesn't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrected body that will come out of it will be dramatically different from each other. You will notice that the variety of bodies is stunning. Just as there are different kinds of seeds, there are different kinds of bodies. Humans, animals, birds, fish, each unprecedented in its form. You get a hint at the diversity of the resurrection glory by looking at the diversity of bodies, not only on the earth, but in the skies, the sun, the moon, the stars. All of these varieties of beauty and brightness, and we're only looking at pre-resurrection seeds. Who can imagine what the resurrection plants will look like when they come back? Here's a thought, man. Will animals be in heaven? Uh, All but my dog. Dog. (laughs) He'll make it. (laughs) Ziggy. Maybe it's our fault. Uh, Will animals be in heaven? Say, according to this scripture... It's not beyond the possibility for God to resurrect animals. Is it beyond your ability to imagine that a loving God who knows how much you love animals couldn't give you something in heaven that brings such pleasure to your life? So I heard some guy argue one time, well, animals don't have souls. Like, got you. (laughs) So Jesus didn't die for an animal. That doesn't mean that God can't resurrect an animal. (laughs) Will there be grass in heaven? Yes. Will there be clouds in heaven? Yes. Will there be a sky in heaven? Yes. Will there be land in heaven? Yes. Everything that you see right now is not going away. It will only be brought back to its original body and condition. How about this? When it comes to the idea of a resurrected body, that very thing that you suffer with and that you struggle with and that you find so difficult to overcome, that thing is a product of the fall of man. It's under the curse. When the curse is lifted, body will be everything God desired it to be in the first place. I have a pastor friend in Colorado Springs. His mother died about three years ago. She was a heavy woman. But he loved his mother dearly. The only reason I'm pointing that out to you is not to make fun of something and not to listen to the story. His mother died suddenly and he was unprepared for it. And it just it broke his heart. And they had scheduled a speaker to be in the church the weekend after his mother had died. And so he decided, hey, God in his providence knew I wouldn't be able to teach and so I'm going to keep the speaker here. And so the speaker comes and the speaker had a gift of prophecy, of being able to to hear things from the Holy Spirit and then speak them out. And so judge this for whatever you think, right? The speaker comes and doesn't know that this has happened ahead of time, but the night before he gets there to speak, he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a, a very heavy woman who is walking up a staircase. And with every step, she just sheds the weight. And with every step, she gets younger And with every step, all that was hurting and all that was difficult, it just just vanished with each step into heaven. And when she got to the top of the staircase, she turned around in the tree, and she said, tell Michael that I'm okay, and then I'll never hurt again. The pastor's name is Michael, and the prophet had no idea that his mother had died. And you can sit here and go, I don't believe in things like that. What do you think heaven will be like? Is it a place where you'll have a resurrected body that'll be everything that God intended it to be in the first place? What a powerful thought. I had an aunt that died of cancer and it was a severe illness. Um... My mom was named for her. And uh, on my aunt's deathbed, she was a believer. Um, This is in the days before they gave drugs to just simply um, cushion a person's transition. How about that? Okay. And so she um, she was going through it, and her family was gathered around her, and she began to sing. And she begins to tell our family, can you see them? And they asked her, what are you singing? She said, I'm singing with the angels. And it was just this beautiful song that they had never never heard before. And she passed from this life into that life with God allowing her to see where she was going that brought such comfort to her family here in this life. And often we think of heaven as this, this horrible... Ah, you, you, To get there, you die, and death is horrible, and death, Jesus called it the last enemy to be destroyed, but heaven was created so that you would enjoy the presence of God and all that he created for you to experience in the first place. The earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord, and he's given it to us to enjoy. Here's the third one, and I'm going to run out of time, man you'll enjoy the resurrected Christ. Not a resurrected Christ, but the resurrected Christ. And this is the only one that's past tense because Jesus already has his resurrected body. Uh, Luke 24, let me just read this to you real quick. Um, this, again, from the message. And uh, this, I, this, I'll just, I'll try to do this real quick. Um, after Jesus is resurrected, but before he ascends into heaven... He's on the earth um, for a number of days so that people can witness the fact that he is resurrected. That he's not, it's not a myth and it's not an analogy and it's not a, a, a lie and it's the truth. Jesus is resurrected and there's more than 500 people at one time who saw him. And so part of this story talks about Jesus and his resurrected body. So let me just read this to you real quick. Um, It's called The Road to Emmaus. That same day, two of them were walking in the village of Emmaus, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. They were in deep conversation going over all of these things that had just happened to Jesus. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked beside them, but they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there long face like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? And he said, what's happened? They said, the things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene. He was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and all the people. And our high priest and our leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one that was about to deliver Israel. And it's now the third day since it happened. But now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with this crazy story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, you're pretty (laughs) thick-headed. You're very slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophets said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on all through the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. Then they came to the edge of the village where they were headed. He acted as if he were going on, but they pressed him, Stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. It's going to be night soon. So he went in with them, and here's what happened. He sat down at the table with them, taking the bread. He blessed it. He broke it, and he gave it to them. And at that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him, and then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened the scriptures up for us? They didn't waste a minute. They were up on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and their friends gathered together, talking away. It's really happened. The master's been raised up. Simon saw him. The other two went over everything that happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. And while they were saying all of this, Jesus appeared to them and said, Peace be with you. They thought they were seeing a ghost and were scared half to death. He continued with them. Don't be upset and don't let all these doubting questions take over. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's really me. Touch me. Look me over from head to toe. A ghost doesn't have muscles and bones like this. And as he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and they still couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was too much, too good to be true. And he asked, do you have any food here? They gave him a piece of leftover fish that they had cooked. He took it and ate it right before their eyes. And the only reason I'm reading this entire story is to give you an idea of a resurrected Jesus, because it's the first seed of what your body will be able to do too. It will not be some ghost that floats around it will be what God's original intention was. You'll eat, you'll drink, you'll enjoy, you'll talk, you'll know, you'll have conversations, you'll you'll be with people, they'll recognize you, but in a moment, you'll be able to go in all the different places that God has created. Why is this story in here? To give you a picture of what resurrection looks like You're not some ghost. You're not some disembodied spirit that floats all over the place for eternity. You're a real person created the way that God wanted you to be created in the first place. And I'm out of time. Let me just do the fourth one and be done. A resurrected earth. What will the earth look like when it's resurrected? Romans chapter 8, real quick. You mind if I finish? Okay, Romans chapter 8. Just real quick, this is uh, verse 18. Uh, That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times, this part. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back by the curse. God reigns in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead in Jesus. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains, but it's not only around us. It's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We also are feeling the birth of these pains. The sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We become more enlarged while we're waiting. We of course don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us to imagine what the future will be like. What will the resurrected earth be like? The only thing I can come close to saying that I think everybody might relate to. Have you ever gone someplace on a trip, a vacation, maybe the mountains, maybe the ocean, uh, maybe the desert, um, maybe someplace tropical, or maybe someplace um, cold. And you found a place on the earth that was so beautiful that it was beautiful breathtaking just for a second. You looked at it and you had to look twice because it was so incredible. Anybody ever had that experience happen? We all have, haven't we? Here's the problem with it. Think about it real quick. It just doesn't last very long, does it? You catch a glimpse of it for a moment and then it's gone. And you want to recreate recreate the experience over and you'll spend a lot of money trying. (laughs) Think about it for just a second and how difficult is it to try to stay in that place. And that's what the curse has done. Every once in a while, you get a little glimpse of how good God created it to be, don't you? And here's what I think heaven is gonna be like for all of us. That place when you see it and it's breathtaking, it will never go away. And every place you turn, and every place you look, and every person you talk to, and every experience you have is gonna be this fullness where you're just like, Only you'll be able to take it because your body can handle it. And it'll be a place where you won't be like, what is this? Why is this? It'll be the completion of everything you ever thought you wanted to see happen. A time of abundance without end. God created it in order for you to enjoy For eternity. It's a tough message to try to communicate because you're talking about things. Paul himself said what he saw was beyond description in some ways. How do you describe something beyond description? It's almost impossible. And yet, so much is said about heaven in the Bible. It's in there because God wants us to anticipate, not have a death wish, but an anticipation of what's coming for us. You know, the book of Hebrews says this. Heaven is a country, and we are the citizens of that place. It's not some strange place that you're going to. In every sense of the word, you'll be home when you get there. So maybe the biggest question is this. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Nobody ever ends up in heaven accidentally. You don't take a wrong term. You don't get lost. If you get there, you got there on purpose. God didn't create, listen to this, hell for people. He created it for the devil and the devil's angels. And if there is a hell, then just by reason, there's a heaven. And if there's a heaven, by reason, there's a hell. And you don't go to heaven Accidentally, Heaven is a prepared place by Jesus for prepared people. You choose heaven when you choose Jesus. It might shock you who all is in heaven. We think we're capable of judging that so many times. And I wonder if God, in His mercy and grace has a way for a lot of people that we don't think. Maybe we'll be shocked when we see them. Maybe they'll be just as shocked when they see you. (laughs) Heaven's a prepared place for prepared people. You choose heaven when you choose Jesus. Father, thank you for the opportunity to teach a little bit about heaven. God, I just pray. You know my heart. don't want to underwhelm what you've created to be so good and it's so easy to think in terms of heaven as a joke heaven is okay yes I want to go to heaven but I don't even know what we'll do there heaven for so many believers today (laughs) it's to be avoided because God we can't get over that there could be any place better than what we have right now and while for sure you've called us to live here and give our hearts and our minds and ourselves fully to being here right now God you put inside of us a longing for heaven Father what our appetite God remind us that what you've planned for us is good satisfying satisfying desirable edifying something that we'll want and be thankful for Father truly what I said folks it's true heaven is a prepared place for prepared people you don't get there accidentally you choose it When you say yes to God's love, His mercy, His forgiveness, His grace, you never know what God can do in a moment of time with a person. You never know where a person's heart is at. Maybe you hear this message in person. Maybe you're traveling as you listen to it. Maybe you're driving right now. Maybe you're all by yourself. Maybe you've just experienced the reality of death, and you wonder about heaven. God loves you. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place so that where I am, you can be also. If it were not true, I wouldn't say it. If I go away, I'll come again to get you so that where I am you can be with me forever it's a prepared place for prepared people if you need God's grace and His mercy and His forgiveness He offers to you a future literally a hope for today and for tomorrow. Where are you at with that? It's just moments in time where He intersects our lives and He speaks our name. He calls to us. Maybe this is your moment. What's your eternity going to look like? None of it's accidental. It's an opportunity right now to say yes to God. And if what I'm saying makes sense to you, and in your heart right now you hear God call your name, say yes. Don't put it off. Don't resist it. Do you know the only sin that can't be forgiven is the rejection of God's grace when he offers it. If you need mercy and you need life, then just say to him, yes. Yes. All journeys have a beginning and this is a spiritual journey your beginning there's not a right way or a wrong way just say yes open your heart and say yes Father thank you for this right now I feel a drawing to that I know you'll speak to people God thank you for loving us creating heaven for us and I pray it in Jesus name Amen. Amen. We'll close with this one song.